This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. to episode number 75 here on the Huskies Warming House Podcast. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Max, and fresh off of 10,000 audio views, or listens. Would they be views or listens? I think they're listens. How do we get to 10,000, Nick? That's the better question. <laughs> I think you said audio downloads, so it sounds like listens would be the correct verb. Yeah, down, whatever it is. Anyway, we, we hit we hit a number, and we're also on episode number 75. So we're chugging along here, August 22nd, 2021. Excited to bring you some more content here as we approach further and further into not only the start of the NHL season, but also the college hockey season. But we're going to focus on the NHL today. We're going to talk a little bit about that development process. We're also going to talk about the Kriza situation as we're kind of in that final week, quote unquote, if you will, before that contract supposedly is going to come to a head. And we're also going to talk about the situation in Arizona, new news coming out of their camp and the city of Glendale regarding uh, some arena plans related to the Coyotes as well. You won't want to miss it. And we're going to start off with a very abbreviated Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. couple of topics here again as you mentioned for the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup uh, first of all some sad news um, out of the Eastern Conference and it, it's definitely news that uh, we talked about it before and whether or not uh, this player would ever return to action um, and we're talking about Henrik Lundqvist the king and uh, unfortunately you know I, I remember having this discussion after he had open heart surgery no and I had predicted that you know, unfortunately that I did think that this was going to be the last time we ever saw him uh, suit up in an NHL jersey. And unfortunately, uh, this is one of those predictions you hope to be wrong. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. it is uh, Henrik Lundqvist calling it a career after 15 years in NHL seasons. Um, basically, out with the New York Rangers, you know, he did sign with the Washington Capitals um, last year. But of course, he never actually played in a game um, due to the inflammation in his heart, which resulted in open heart surgery. Uh, 39 years old, five-time Vezina nominee, although he never won one. Uh, excuse me. He won one in 2012. Yeah. I apologize. Uh, I think he should have won more because just his numbers, his careers is unbelievable. Uh, One Stanley Cup final appearance in 2014, also a silver medal in the Olympics, Uh, gold in 2006, a silver coming in also in 2014. Uh, Lundqvist does finish sixth all time as the winningest goaltender in the National Hockey League 
with 459 career wins to his belt. Um, it, you know, tough to really see this. No, it really is. Because uh, mm-hmm. as great of a player as Lundqvist was on the ice, I think he is a probably, if not, if, if there's a job out there in the NHL for him, it'd be brand ambassador. He was an incredible ambassador for the game of hockey and to the city of New York. Honestly, he just, um, and, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to say this kind of, you know, off the, off the cuff here a little bit, but I mean, man, I mean, just an unbelievable human being, just, just what he did for that community. So it really is sad to see his career come to an end in, in the way kind of that it did. Yeah. And also, you know, the other thing too, is I think that, you know, the reason part of the reason he's not playing too, is he was hoping that after a year of that open heart surgery, he was going to get that medical clearance um, and didn't really get it. I think if he gets that medical clearance, I think he has one more kick at the can before he's finally done. But unfortunately, you know, a five-time all-star and um, a a fantastic career, never won a Stanley cup, but, you know, had that cup final appearance in 2014. And there was a guy that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about guys that don't win a cup, but maybe should still be in the hall of fame. There's a guy that I think is a really good case. I think he's absolutely a Hall of Famer. Um, Roberto Luongo, I think, had a pretty cool social media mm-hmm. uh, shout out after that. Uh, he actually tweeted at Henry Lundquist, you know, start a podcast, two goats, and, uh, no cup. I think that was <laughs> that was pretty funny uh, there from Luongo. Always good uh, for those takes. But um, and from what we understand, too, what's being reported is uh, during his attempt to come back was that he was experiencing chest pains as the workouts continue to get more intense. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, your body sometimes does tell you, Noah, that, uh, you know, maybe this is a little bit too much. So uh, again, congratulations to why I would believe would be a future hall of famer. And like one question, a fantastic career and certainly on my book, a first ballot hall of famer um, there for the former now New York Rangers goaltender. Uh, speaking of retirement news, this mm-hmm. is a different one that we're talking not on the ice, but behind the microphone, Rick Jeanneret. Um, uh, who has been the longtime television voice of the Buffalo Sabres announced that he will be officially retiring after the conclusion of the 2021-22 season. Uh, I think the most famous call that people will know him for is his mayday call for Buffalo back. Uh, I believe that was the eighties that that call was made. Um, joined them in the radio 1971, uh, 51 years um, as a broadcaster in the NHL, that's, I mean, that's a hell of a career, number one, but that's a, that's lucky too, uh, just, yeah. you know, to have that history, to have that tenure with an NHL franchise, uh, just a golden voice, a very distinctive voice. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just unbelievable. And, the, and there was been mullings that he, he was closer to the retirement day here, Noah, but now officially announced this will be his last. He's 79 years old. So you talk about 51 years, started when he was 28 years old. Um, he was actually inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame back in 2012. So already shown that he will be part of hockey immortality uh, here, even before he uh, hangs up uh, the microphone for the last time. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Longest tenured play-by-play voice for a single team in NHL history. Um, he's been there um, every year besides the inaugural season of the Buffalo Sabres, which is unbelievable to think about. And started on the radio, made his way to TV, and uh, has done a fantastic job. The other call that um, he was also a part of that you know isn't so enticing, if you will, but another one that he was famous on the broadcast for would have been uh, the Clint Malarchuk situation in 1989, yep. too. Um, would have been the voice behind that one as well. Um, moving into a little bit more international news, Nick, quickly here. Uh, the Women's World Hockey um, Championship got underway in Calgary a couple days ago. Um, this past Friday, in fact, the U.S. and Canada both winning their first games. Uh, Germany, Czech Republic, and uh, Russia, the Olympic Committee, earning their victories in the first days. Of course, we're going to track that tournament as it gets rolling 
through the upcoming weeks. Uh, the medal round starts August 28th, which each team playing four games before then. Uh, St. Cloud State women's hockey has a couple of current and former players in that tournament as well. Uh, junior Clara Himmlerova for the Czech Republic. She had an assist the other day. Uh, Laura Kluge, I believe, was plus three in the win uh, for Germany the other day. And Nina Newland, unfortunately, was held off the score sheet against a really good Canada team uh, that played some really, really good hockey there. Nick, I know you got a chance to kind of take in some of those. Uh, any highlights that kind of stuck out to you for the St. Cloud women's team? Uh, for for Laura Kluge, again, now former one. Again, that, that Germany team is, is good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they spoiled... Uh, it was it Hungary's uh, kind of indoctrination into the women's worlds? Uh, that that's a tough first round, and you know you talk about Germany, not just what the women said, the men said. They're starting to make some strides in the hockey world, yes. and actually, kind of, it's it's great. Uh, you talk about growing the game. This is where you know these 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 countries such as Germany, even the women's side here too. They're starting to get some talent. They're starting to roll uh, and, and get just you know better and more competitive against you know your Finlands, your your US, your Canada's. Um, obviously hungry, uh, you know, not on the same level as there, but, you know, some confidence there. Um, and again, I've always been repressed with uh, Laura Kaluga's game, just does everything with speed. She's got great vision and just uh, knows where to find the open ice too, especially with a puck on her. So she could be kind of a control, uh, I should say, controls the game uh, when, you know, when she's got uh, the puck mm-hmm. in her possession. So uh, great game so far. Uh, too bad for Finland. They actually were leading Team Canada in that hockey game. And then Canada, again, just has that extra gear where they can just kind of storm back, um, you know, late in the games. That's what they did against Finland. Uh, but no doubt Finland will have a, an opportunity to respond here as they're also a very deep hockey team there as well. Obviously watching all three of our St. Cloud State uh, Huskies in that tournament. Also, the big one uh, before we hit the medal round, I believe it's August 26th, the U.S. and Canada will face off against each other before we hit that medal round matchup. So that'll be a good one as well. Moving uh, back into the NHL, as we kind of mentioned previously, Arizona was told by the city of Glendale uh, that they will need to find a new home after this season. The city announced that it will not renew the operating agreement for Gila River Arena, which is owned by the city of Glendale. The agreement was on a year-by-year basis. um, And like we said, that's going to be the topic of our extra ice session later in the show. So we're not going to dive into that one uh, too much there, Mr. Maxson. No, but we, we'll definitely have plenty to talk about in that one is that, uh, you know, it seems like this is more of, you know, the icing on the cake for what has been brewing for some time. Uh, but as you wrap up a couple of things here, a couple of signings here and a couple of other different hockey related news as well. But first let's go to the Western Hockey League up above you know, the Canadian board and the CHL. They are mandating that all players, staff, and league personnel to be vaccinated ahead of the season. Um, Similar protocols have also already been uh, in place in the OHL and the QMJHL. Again, all these are under the umbrella of the CHL, all junior programs. Um, So for them, Noah, uh, taking a hard stance, and we're starting to see that not just with hockey, but some other things where, you know, they're they're taking the hard stance and, you know, especially with pro sports. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about this with Arizona too, just the money that, people have lost uh, just because a lot of these uh, the pro sports venues or even junior leagues, a lot of the revenue is on ticket sales. And, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, smaller things, you know, they just can't absorb another season of, of losses of revenue like this. And so they're really just trying to make sure that not only that, you know, I think also there's uh, MTS center in Winnipeg, is requiring either a negative COVID test or a proof of vaccination for as a fan to be allowed in the stances. It sounds like they're going to have full capacity there uh, up in Winnipeg. I've heard rumblings of other NHL venues uh, looking at similar things. So I think this is a trend we're going to see continue forward, even in the pro system. So uh, some things procedural wise happening above in Canada. Also, how about this? The NHL will be adding a jersey patch. Yes, the jersey patch. And no hockey fans were not going to have, you know, the European, you know, 
racetrack logo jersey just yet. <laughs> um, it, it's going to be small, three by three and a half inch um, rectangle. It's going to be the size. Uh, to me, the the NBA is already doing this. Um, yeah, it's a small patch they put over the, the the left chest there. I think as long as it stays like that, it's going to be fine. Uh, but again, for those who 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 want to, you know go against us those helmet patches we saw this year earned like 50 million bucks so i mean it's it's a money maker and at, and at the end of the day when the nhl has got a little bit of red ink to it uh, anytime that you can generate some revenue without really having to do much other than sell some ad space um i think you know as the quicker the nhl gets out of its current financial situation i think it's a good thing and i don't really think yeah. they're going to see a domino effect as we've seen or at least fans think it will go to i really don't see that yeah um, finally of course it's one of those things too that also doesn't take effect until after this season and i mean Correct. it gives it gives an opportunity i mean you never know for like the minnesota wild you could see them having a local brand or something that's fitting a minnesota like caribou coffee or something like that where it's almost like hey that doesn't look so bad on a jersey and you know between that and maybe one helmet advertisement we're really not getting too crazy but that's just my take on it so exactly so and again for me i understand it and for me i actually welcome this because again the quicker we get the nhl back to where we were that's when the salary cap can increase and that's where unfortunately minnesota needs some help on their salary cap issues here for the next couple of years but i digress from that situation yeah speaking of salary cap though in the minnesota while they did avoid arbitration even though it was in that 48 hour window uh kevin fiala and the club actually agreed to a one-year deal 5.1 million dollars on the restricted free agent um interesting noah that he took the restricted free agency route he had an opportunity to choose between one and two years he chose the one-year deal so it goes back into an rfa status with arbitration rights next year and now two years where he would walk himself into unrestricted free agency so that was kind of odd for me and to me i think honestly this is <laughs> if you're kevin fiala uh this is um, this is a, uh, a contract that's going to make you really want to, uh, to motivate yourself for next year. Cause now he'll hey, be, can, can you write the words, prove me contract in yeah. capital letters? Yeah. Holy heck. So, <laughs> and I think you're going to see a very motivated Kevin Fiala, not that he has never been on the ice, but Oh man, uh, I was predicting, I think, you know, you were predicting closer to 7 million. I thought he was going to come into six, six and a half. This is well under what many believe would be his market value. Um, but also, you know, for, for the wildest perspective, this is, Great money savings, at least for this year, because again, we're still waiting on the Kaprizov resolution. We're again, we're touching that a little bit later. Uh, Nashville also avoided arbitration with Netminder Saros. He inked a four-year contract, twenty million dollars in the total deal. Philadelphia also avoiding arbitration in a two-year pact, nine and a half million dollars for Travis Sandheim, good young defenseman out there in the city of brotherly love. Alba Calgary, the added. Defenseman's Nick uh, Nikita Zadorov, and um, then inked him to a one-year deal. UC Valamaki also to a two-year deal on the blue line, and then in Detroit, Adam Earn got a two-year deal. Um, and as they also bought out the last year of Franz Nielsen's six-year contract um, from his time uh, beforehand. Um, Nielsen is 37 years of age, and no question, a shell of once a very speedy and very good offensive player. Um, he's looking for a new home as well. <clears throat> Finally, Buffalo. Got some bad news yet again. Owen Power, as was expected, uh, is rejoining Michigan officially. As he announced on his Instagram uh, for his second season. And, oh, boy, I know we're St. Cloud State podcast here and all, but Michigan, you talk about just on paper the talent level, uh, they're going to be quite the team to watch for. Um, yeah, they're con the consensus number one uh, in the pre-draft ranking, just ahead of St. Cloud State at number two. And uh, as we've seen before, Noah, St. Cloud fans know this, just because you're the most talented team and you're the number one team, doesn't guarantee your spot in anything. Um, hashtag AIC. But anyway, um, you know, there's plenty of other stuff we need to get to. But but seriously, though, um, 
there's no question Michigan, this Michigan team may go on as the most talented, but they may also go down as possibly the most talented team that maybe had an early exit. You know, we've seen this happen in the college ranks. I mean, you talk about March Madness in college basketball, a lot of number one seeds go down in the first or second round. These things happen. So Michigan, uh, you talk about pressure, right? Uh, but we're going to have to touch a little bit on, on this mm-hmm. here um, or later in the show. This Michigan, how are they going to handle this pressure? So, uh, you know, great, great team. It's going to be fun to watch there in the Big Ten, but uh, there's going to be a lot of proving to do as the Wolverines uh, head into this uh, year of college hockey. Once again, welcome into episode number 75 here. Noah Grant joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson. Nick, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, you, you were talking about college hockey in the last segment, and I don't know, it gets me excited. We're getting closer and closer to hockey. Uh, and like you mentioned, you talk about how how good is Michigan going to be this year? Uh, is it going to be the question mark of the young, you know, NHL draft pick late in roster? Or is it going to be the veteran experience of a team like St. Cloud that's able to take the cake? Or is there somebody out of nowhere that's going to uh, be an NCAA Division One ice hockey champion at the end of the season we hope it's north dakota has entered the chat so (laughs) (laughs) we don't talk about them anyway um (laughs) you know but i before i get your take on how your week has gone nick i'm kind of glad that you mentioned north dakota they're actually part of our trivia question so before i ask you how you're doing let's jump right into trivia we did have a question this week as always season two of trivia we had a first time winner for the first time in about 16 weeks the rabid one three chris backer uh was our winner the question did read St. Cloud state men's hockey has old WCHI fills, Minnesota, North Dakota, Mankato, and Wisconsin this season out of these, which opponent is the only one that St. Cloud state has swept, not tied swept in a season playing that opponent at least four times in a year. And what season was it? I don't expect you to get the season, but who is out of those four, who is the only opponent that St. Cloud state has swept in a given season? Minnesota, North Dakota, Mankato, Wisconsin. Oh, my. Is it Mankato? <laughs> it is Mankato. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. St. Cloud State swept Mankato last in 2001-2002 with four games all in the fall of 2001. The men's team outscored the Mavericks 22-3 to oh. that season. Yeah, not bad. Just one side a little bit, I see. <laughs> Not bad. For seasons with less than four games, St. Cloud State has swept Minnesota three times and Wisconsin one time. So um, obviously, you know, it's seasons where they only play two games in a given season. But when you're talking about the Mavericks, our biggest win against Mankato, hashtag Nolan Walker. Anyway, moving on from that one, uh, is it, isn't that interesting? I was looking through, um, you know, obviously we are a St. Cloud State podcast, but if you look at our success rate against a team like North Dakota, for example, North Dakota has had our number, uh, you know, going through here. So a little bit of motivation for this Huskies team moving into the year. I think this is the year where the Huskies uh, have a chance at maybe changing some things related to this trivia question. But nonetheless, speaking of changes, Mr. Maxim, what is up in your world this week? Uh, Fall semester starts tomorrow. Yeah, gross. I know. Oh gosh. Isn't that, isn't that insane? Mm. Uh, and you know, it's weird. It's a weird one this time around. Um, it's the last fall semester I'll have hopefully. So, <laughs> uh, but it, it I say, do, do, you, do you have any, do you have any wood next to you? Uh, oh, you're in trouble maybe, now. Yeah, I've got something. <laughs> uh, you know, oh crap. Uh, but no, that's, that's really it. Um, you know, gearing up for a big hockey season again, uh, St. Cloud coming out in the preseason number two. So, you know, 
I don't take a lot of stock in those preseason rankings. Um, at, well, come at the on, Nick, the they're everything, man. I know, but uh, <laughs> but you know, we're getting closer uh, to both college hockey and the NHL season. So we're getting closer to September. Uh, the Minnesota State Fair starts this Thursday for those who uh, who go to that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Never I heard of must it. stop. I know nobody has, so it's fine. <laughs> um, it's flyover country, so. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so a couple of things, you know, going on. But beyond that, you know, just trying to gear up again for uh, a very busy fall uh, here coming up for, for me as we get ready to uh, open up the job search um, for myself, which is weird. I've already kind of started to put some feelers out there again in, in this neck, you know, neck of the the job industry being sports you you just have to start early so i've already gotten some feelers out there we'll be definitely ramping that up here as we go through fall with no question going into the spring so um it's going to be a a very very busy fall and it pretty much kicks off tomorrow yeah i i don't know i mean the sports broadcasting world super laid back you know if you want to call games with the tampa lightning you just call them they'll hire you i mean easy peasy right i mean that's just how it works yeah that's a very nauseous i think that's how it goes right i think bagging groceries is probably more more intensive a job hiring than that, right? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think there's a very, you know, a two-part process. I got to do a background check, you know, take your fingerprints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as you have an ID, you're hired. Anyway, um, exactly. <laughs> nonetheless, wishing you the best of luck in that, Nick, as uh, I I am privy to a little bit more of what's going on behind the scenes. And hopefully, uh, hopefully your opportunities um, pan out. But nonetheless, as we move into, uh, like you mentioned, uh, I start school this week as well, too. I'm going to get a root canal in about a month uh, with that tooth that I knocked out. I have to get that one done. I have to wait a month. So anything that I when I eat ice cream or anything like that, it's I'm aware that I'm eating ice cream very much so. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I, I think about it, you know, a month, what's a month in the end? You know, you tough it out for a month to get it done. And the root canal is the part that's going to be the most helpful, you know, when it comes to that sort of thing. It just costs a chunk of change. But nonetheless, we're going to make it. We're going to be okay. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a pressure situation, as, as one would say, Nick. You alluded to that as well. So why don't we move into our next topic? We've got two topics here in the main portion of the show. And it's uh, we're going to start off today with one that, uh, it's a little bit social media inspired and a little bit of uh, personal inspired. Uh, for those who didn't know the story um, for myself, I got a chance to, uh, I had an offer to go to the Bismarck Bobcats main camp uh, all those years ago in the NAHL. Um, and I have a friend um, whose brother I actually graduated with and played with. Um, he is getting ready for the same camp, actually. And he was telling me, I think it's 30 players that they're bringing into the camp. You know, it's the final main camp uh, and they take 25. So he said there's 15 forwards and they take 13. So he's got to beat out two forwards. Um, and it also goes back to some pieces I see on social media, you know, as we go through the contract talks, Kevin Fiala, Caprizov, Zach Parisi, you know, um, you know, football players, uh, you know, you name it, whoever it is. And talking about kind of the, the pressure of, of what it means to be an athlete, you know, what does it mean to get paid, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to do this job? You know, they've got everything in the world. What do they have to complain about? You know, they should just, you know they're elite athletes. They should just do what they've got to do. Nick, um, I guess kind of to start off um, this discussion and how to posit it, I asked this particular player, he he said, you know, I'm a forward. They're taking 13 forwards. There's 15 at camp. I got to beat out two guys. I said, okay. I said, are you nervous? He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm really nervous because he's like, you never know. You never know what kind of camp you're going to have. You never know. You know, I might be the worst forward there and I don't know it yet. Those sorts of things like that. And talking about, you know, that's a little bit of internal pressure, a little bit of the unknown, knowing what the NHL brings. And as you move up into, you know, the USHL division one, you know, I mean, throw division three in there, AHL, ECHL, NHL, you know, playing in Europe, as you climb the rungs in the ladder, your window gets smaller and smaller. And, 
uh, in theory, the pressure on yourself, unless you're Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby. And even for those guys, the pressure, you know, gets bigger and bigger. Um, so in your mind, Nick, I, I guess I'm just going to throw the floor to you for pressure situations. What does the casual fan kind of need to take away when they look at a guy who's a fourth line guy and they say, Oh, this guy sucks. This guy, you know, Victor Rask, let's throw Victor Rask as a prime example of a guy that maybe had a little bit of pressure on him last season. What, what does Victor Rask likely feel that goes beyond the four and a half million dollars and 20 some points that he had this year? So let's first define what pressure really is. Right. So I think what we need to take the casual fan through is, First of all, you know nothing. Honestly, you know nothing. All right, Um, that's our show. That's our show for today. Yeah, that's. (laughs) But seriously, so there's nothing that. So there's the idea of pressure, then there's actual pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why a lot of these pro athletes are not on social media. So the pressure, the real pressure, as I described, right, comes from internal in the play in the people that are going to have a direct impact on your job. So that's your coaching staff, your general manager, whatever the case may be. Right. So family, throw family in there too. throw family in there. Um, So that's actual pressure, but let's flip this on a little bit. This is kind of a a mental sideshow to put it to the least pressure is what you make of it. Um, You know, and to go back to uh, the, the player that you're talking about in there, he could be a very talented. In fact, we may look as the casual fan and go, there's no way in hell this player is going to be beaten out by these guys. But there's also that, you know, it's created internal pressure where it says, Hey man, like I'm not taking this for granted. You know, I, I like you said, I could have a bad camp. I could have a couple of turnovers at the wrong time. And I maybe never do that. And all of a sudden, you know, the people are making decisions are going, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can trust this guy in this yeah. kind of situation. And first and impressions in that environment are everything huge. Right. Yeah. So it's one of those deals where I had the opportunity to call um, that all-star prospects mm-hmm. game a couple of years ago. Jack Pert was part of this, right. Ooh. And the, what was marketed was this was an mm-hmm. NHL scouting combine essentially for the best Minnesota high school hockey players. Right. And talking to Gino Parrish, again, brother of Mark Parrish, he was my color that evening. And I asked him, you know, how does a player prepare for this type of game? And his exact response was, you, you, you can't look about, you can't think about that. What you have to think about is what you can control, which is you go on the ice and you don't play any differently. You play to your strengths. You just go out there and play hockey. Everything else will take care of itself as long as you focus on that. But if you make the focus about the pressure situation, what other people think that they want to see, then you're forgetting about decisions on the ice or what to do with the puck next, or, you know, it's a domino effect, right? So pressure is both organic and it's also manufactured. And I think a lot of it from a fan's perspective is that's manufactured pressure. So let's go to Victor Rask, right? There's a whole lot of manufactured pressure on this guy. Number one, we know who this player is. And that's where weirdly enough, the fans still want more than what they know he is. And it's funny because if you take a player like Victor Rask, we all know that most NHL rosters, he's a third at best, probably mostly a fourth line center, right? But as you mentioned pre-show, let's take a step back. He's still one of the best three or 400 hockey players in the world, right? If I won the ice with them, it would not be pretty. It would, I would get schooled, right? So yeah. now on a team, a professional hockey team, where there are that many players better than him, it makes him look eh, not as great. Here's the thing, though. You put him between Zuccarello and Kaprizov. Yeah, he he's not an offensive firehouse. He's more of that just 
you know, kind of, I don't know if you're going to call it a boring center, but he's not that flashy type, but he plays okay. Like he's usually yeah. pretty good with the puck and for security. He gets in there. He can be gritty at times. Um, pretty decent vision, at, you know, at times is too. But, you know, yeah, does he miss things? Yeah. What player doesn't? That's the thing. But in a media thing where we can play armchair quarterback every minute of every game with the different broadcast angles with instant replay, we can sit there and pick apart a decision that a player is trying to think about two steps ahead. And we can sit back on our armchairs as, you know, the, the lazy peasants that we are and say, oh, why did he do this? That's horrible. And then all of a sudden, pressure, right? So you make a mistake and it's amplified. Now there's pressure from the, the masses, right? So the thing about pressure is it's what, to me, the only pressure that matters is the pressure you put on yourself and the pressure in the people that have a direct impact on that. Everything else, I don't care. I really don't care. Um, at the end of it, can it be overwhelming even internally? Yeah. I think there are, there are points. Even I look back at some things I've done in, in my hockey career. Um, also in the broadcasting career where I probably put a little bit too much pressure on myself um, in certain situations. And that can be just as um, distracting is probably the best word as that. So, you know, we often see, and we talk about athletes as the physical part of the game, but really even in, you know, in goalies will attest to this, a lot of what it is on the ice or on the field or on the basketball court, it, a lot of it is right between here, right? It's about yeah. what can I do to focus on what's in front of me and not worry about anybody else. Um, so again, for those, you know, and when you talk about the social media aspect, you know, I, I can see why players, even in the collegiate levels, they don't have those accounts because if they, it's very tempting to go around and look through those comments and, you know, you just, you don't want to have that energy, distracting you from what's at hand. Because again, the only people that know best of what you're doing is going to be your coaches at Brett Larson, Dave Shayak, and uh, Nick Oliver. That's the only people yeah. that matter. So, you, you know, and, know. You, and you think about, you know, there, there's not many jobs where one, you're fighting for your job every day and every yeah. mistake or what you do is scrutinized for you. Even if you worked for 25 years to get to that position, we mentioned a guy like Franz Nielsen, a guy who's had a pretty decent NHL career, was a great shootout specialist. It was a guy who just got his contract bought out. He's 37 years old. You know, it's like he might be transitioning to that next piece there, you know, and knew that he didn't play well last year. And now that pressure situation is moving him you know, in a different direction. The other piece of this too is too, I think about, you know, when we go back to that um, in 2015, I was at the CCM NIT tournament in Plymouth, right. Which is essentially, you know, like we're team North Dakota team, Minnesota, um, not the, not the best of the best, the best players that play like in Minnesota and places like that, they're off doing other camps, but you know, um, some, some pretty decent players there. And it was a, it was a challenging four days of hockey. And of course you look up, you know, Dave Haxtell, you know, guys like that are up there. I, I don't know if it's Dave Haxtell or Brad Berry at that time. You got Bob Motts go up there. Um, Don Lucia, um, Grandpa Tony, you know, you look up and they're all standing up there and, you know, they're scouting guys and that's what they're doing. And that's what they're there for the tournament. And I think about like, even that was a little tournament, you know, after a high school season in which I had a good high school season, and, you know, made the team, but you had three weekends of tryouts that you had to go in. You had to be on your best every time during the tryout. Then you had to, had to be in your best in the tournament. Then when you go up to the next level, when you play college, you know, where, wherever it's ACHA division one, division three, you've got to be on every night, NHL, USHL. And people say, well, yeah, you're a hockey player. This is kind of what you're born to do. Just because you're a good hockey player doesn't mean that you execute on the ice. You know what I mean? Like, 
I've known so many guys that were great, great hockey players, but when it came down to quote unquote pressure situations, when the intensity got up, they were not guys that stuck around and made plays. And that's why you see great playoff heroes that, you know, are depth guys that somehow elevate their game because they find a way to handle that pressure in a way that is productive to whatever they have going on. Um, and I think I, my, my overall point here is I think we just need to kind of take a step back sometimes and evaluate that, you know, yeah, let's take Joel Erickson X contract or Alex Goligossi's contract for the Minnesota wild. These guys are getting paid for their production and skill value, no doubt, but they're also getting paid. For example, a guy like Alex Goligossi, he's 35 years old, but he's a guy who consistently, like we mentioned, has had six consecutive 20 point seasons and close to 30 point seasons. He's a guy that has shown that he can handle that pressure. So, I guess that's my overarching point is that as we take a look at, um, for example, the Kirill Kaprizov situation, let's also understand that Kaprizov, yeah, he might end up making nine and a half million dollars a year at some point in his life. Um, just like Zach Parisi made seven and a half million dollars a year, but these guys all have pressure on them every day that you can't just look at them and say, Oh, you make seven and a half dollars a year. You should be able to handle this. You're, you're, you're getting paid that amount. You should be able to adjust to that. Um, you know, as we roll into the Kaprizov situation, can you kind of uh, attest well, to that? Even well? more so, you know, I've also seen where it's like, well, he got his money. He doesn't have to care anymore. You know, he's not going anywhere. He's got no move clause. It's like, no. And that's not what we just saw. Yeah. We just saw that. Suter and Parise were both bought out with four years left. The team has taken a significant financial hit on their cap hit for starting, well, essentially this year, but even more so years two, three, and four. They thought that was better than having you on their roster. Let's just think about that for a second. There's yeah. nothing guaranteed in pro sports. Yep. Um, you, you mentioned Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, you know, just because let's even throw Austin Matthews in there, right? Because of the amount of money he's making, right? If you strictly look at it from a financial standpoint, that means absolutely nothing, right? Because it's like, oh, he's got his money. Uh, you know, now he doesn't have to care. The only time he's going to care is in the contract here. Uh, no, um, we've seen it where these players get ousted because they're not playing to what the money, you know, you have to play to the value of your dollar. There's pressure on these guys all the time. Yeah, and, and, that's, again, and, that, and that dollar amount for those three players you mentioned is like, I feel like I need to carry this franchise type money, yeah. you know? And, and don't think, I mean, Jack Eichel, right? We're, let's look at Jack Eichel. Yeah. More, more, a lot of it is internal stuff, but what's to say a team trades for him. He's getting paid $10 million a season. Don't think that if a team doesn't think that he's been playing up to that value, he gets traded again. Um, you know, it's just, that's the way it happens. You have to play up to what your expectation is. And it's even more so elevated now, because again, how many teams with the way the NHL's flat cap is are up against the cap. They, every dollar matters to these squads. So if you do not, even those higher players don't add up, they're saying, you know what? I may have some dead cap here, but I don't care. I need to open up my space for other players that could get more value out of them and maybe multiple players versus one. Right. So it, it, it's a unique situation. That's it, That's here. Yeah. Speaking of value, Mr. Max, as we've got about six or seven minutes left in the regular show, one guy that apparently the contract is supposed to apparently come to a head in the next week and a half or so that is Kirill Kaprizov number 97 for the Minnesota wild. I, uh, can you uh, kind of walk us through a little bit about uh, the gigantic, under the table slash not under the table, but actually under the table offer that he's gotten in the KHL. And what does this September 1st deadline mean? Will we see number 97 finally come to a resolution in his contract? Or, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, it's not a deadline. That is when Kapril Kaprizov could sign with the KHL. 
Um, there's two things about this. You have to understand too, that just because somebody throws you an offer sheet doesn't mean that you want to sign it. You know, that's the one thing that is being kind of, you know, convoluted into one when reality, we haven't really heard that from his agent. We have heard that, you know, he could sign here, but we've not heard from Kirill himself, especially one or two that he will sign here. I think it's part of the bluff. I think it's part of the, um, the negotiation tactics that this agent has been historically made of the course of his career. Um, just ask Michael Russo and read his latest athletic. This is, in fact, it sounds like Michael Russo even called out this agent even back in June uh, this last summer because the sort of the, the mantra that this agent was trying to, to play with Russo was the team needs to understand how serious this is. And then you kind of read between the lines goes, they're trying to use me at the athletic as a pawn to write something so that the wild would jump or overcorrect or do something. Right. So yeah, it's, 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 it's similar to, he's actually the same agent for Artemi Panarin. And that's kind of how Artemi got his big payday. You know, yeah. as you roll into your answer here, Nick, can you also touch on the fact that a lot of people had an uproar that um, Bill Guerin was saying, you know, it doesn't bother me one bit. And people are saying, oh, it totally does bother him. I don't think it does because. Uh, Let me slowly ask the question. These fans are getting on the guy that uh, anybody in the entire world knows what the hell is going on versus yep. anybody else. That's... Yeah, there's three guys that know three. And yeah, and is there some pot? And so let's break this down a little bit. Is, is there probably some posturing here by Bill Green? Maybe a little bit. Absolutely. You talk about the agent having his, you know, mantra, having, you know, sort of this big brawny hardball type thing. I think Bill Green's playing hardball right back and the way he's yeah. doing it is, eh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scared by your tactics. I think it's a brilliant response. And honestly, I do think with Kaprizov, knowing what I know behind the scenes, I feel like, again, a lot of people also speaking of, you know, convoluted situations, they're making the mistake of thinking that this is what Kaprizov wants mm -hmm. and what the agent is showing is a direct reflection of Kaprizov. I don't see it that way. Now, to Russo's point, and he had this on his you know latest podcast, I do think it is rubbing the fan base the wrong way. And it is absolutely, you know, rubbing the organization the wrong way. There's no question about that with this agent change, because at some point, and, and Russo made, I think, a really good point was, at some point, if you really want to send Kaprizov himself has to maybe get up off his chair and take over this. I don't really know. And this is the part with maybe a, a culture difference that maybe Kaprizov just doesn't understand the way that his agent is handling this. There's more to it than just the contract. There is the impression he's giving about himself as a hockey player. It's not just about dollars and cents, right? So I think there is something to be said there, but I really don't think I can sit here in good faith, make the argument that Kaprizov, this is exactly how he wants us to go. Again, it's been well recorded. This is how his agent has done negotiations in the past. So I really do think it's yeah. more of a reflection there on the agent than it is on Kaprizov. However, let's go back to the actual answer of the deadline, right? There is no deadline. That just means, hey, you can sign here because the KHL season starts uh, mid-September. They get off to an early start, right? Yeah. So at the end of it, I think, again, they're just they're trying to put an end date to it. Now, if Garen is smart, they there to me. This is what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to go past September one. Mm -hmm. I really do think, and I think for Garen's side, I think what and you've kind of seen this at, at different pizzas late last this last week. He said, you know, talks are increasing or they're or getting towards a re resolution. So he's playing the game as, hey, we're getting closer. Even though, heck, behind the scenes, there may already be a tentative deal in place. And again. Agent maybe continues to try to chip away and get more at it. We just don't know. But for fans, it makes me laugh, honestly. Your fans who think they're like, oh, we shouldn't be reacting this way. No. 
you got to look at it, this is a negotiation. That means there's the public presence and there's a lot that happens behind closed doors. And the funny thing is this could yeah. be completely cordial and be like, Hey man, you know, can we shoot at this, shoot at that? And again, it's going to be, it's like that. It's a, it's a one-on-one shootout, right? It's like who moves first. It's the goaltender versus the shooter. Yeah. That's where this negotiation and, has been the and, entire and, time. And you think about the piece. We talk so much about the Chuck Fletcher era. One of the things that, yeah, Kirill Kaprizov, a fantastic hockey player, but you have to like how Bill Guerin is taking a stance here because Chuck Fletcher in some respects was kind of a pushover when it comes to that kind of thing where it's like you're, you are playing hardball with a guy in this position who might be your franchise player moving forward. Potentially. I think that's important to kind of say, you know what you can play here. We want you here, but this is the standard that you're going to set. The other piece of this is too. Is, I'm going to jump in real quick. Well, well, hold, well, hold on. Just because of the fact that, like, I think it's funny how the same fans who say, how did they offer a guy who only played 55 games, nine and a half million dollars, then say, why don't they pay the man for the short-term contract that you want? You are answering your own question when it comes to that there. Do you know why they offered that man $9 million or $8 million for having only played 55 games? Because I don't care who you are in the National Hockey League. Yeah, I mean, there's always risk. But when you and I and almost every NHL scout and executive watch Kirill Kaprizov play, even if they're playing what they call quote unquote fluff ball teams like Anaheim, which doesn't mean anything because anybody who scores 100 points in the National Hockey League plays good teams and bad teams and produces against them all. The reason they're offering him eight and a half million dollars is because he's a freaking good hockey player, potentially a franchise hockey player and has this otherworldly offensive prowess that you can't teach and you can't really develop. And that's just what he is. So for people that that go both ways on that, uh, you're answering your own question. And I want to put that out there. So and well, and, and here's the you know for people who are criticizing Bill Guerin playing hardball. Uh, again, it's a reciprocating thing. Kaprizov could have signed with Minnesota in 2015 and came right over. He chose to wait five years to get here. Let's think about it from the team's perspective. You draft him fifth in the fifth round. So what 135th overall, I think, is what it was. Um, yeah, shall, please, shall we look? We shall look uh, <laughs> while I continue this explanation. But, you yeah. know, he slid down. Everybody knew that, you know, he had the skill set. But again, this is the the headache that with Russian players that a lot of the NHL GMs have avoided is precisely this is, you know, does do these players ever make it? Do they ever come over? You, I see your aunt. You see your nod yeah. in your head. Was I right? 135. Got it. Okay. So, but look at this. So you wait five years and now all of a sudden after 55 games, you're demanding just a three-year contract. Part of my fence with BS, right? No. And you can get, I can guarantee you part of that hardball stance is I can wait as long as you can. I don't give a damn. Like, honestly, like you, yeah. you've, you've waited all this time to come here. You sign at 24 years of age. He's going to be 25 here coming up this next April or March. I forget exactly when or February. And, um, and you can understand where Kaprizov is coming from because a three-year deal puts him at about 28, which is usually when guys get their big payday that pushes big them payday. through. Yeah. So, but as Russo pointed out, this is Kaprizov's own damn fault. You could have signed your ELC. You could have made, you've left a lot of money on the table. And this is when you decided to come over. And now you're trying to walk yourself and say, I deserve that same thing after only 55 games. The team is going, not my damn fault. Like we wanted you this entire time and you said, no, I don't want to come over. So I think it's absolutely critical that Bill Guerin does take a stand here mm-hmm. because again, you wait this long, you finally get a man. We've all known his skill set and his prowess. It's been on the international stage. It's shown in the KHL. Now the NHL, 
you want to make sure that you are getting essentially value and more so you're getting games played out of the prospect. You, you were patient and patient and probably to be to, to not to kill Chuck Fletcher, but a little bit probably too patient. I wish there was a little bit more of a, a stab across the Pacific ocean and be like, Hey man, you need to get your butt over here. Like, yeah. you know, because it, it, more and, so. And, and the other side of the argument now though, is thankfully is he is an NHL ready player and then some being 23. He had, he had, yeah. well, here's the thing he has been. That's the thing is, yeah. you know, I really wish that there was somebody in the wild organization. And again, maybe this was, maybe there was, you know, some shots fired across the oceans that we never heard about and say, you know, if you came over here or by not coming over here, you're, 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 you're leaving money on the table. Right. Um, but I know that, you know, again, the, these sort of uh, uh, negotiations and, you know, these, these talks are, you know, especially with a player that has kind of made it from the onset when he was young, that he wanted to play there for a little bit, you know, that's, that's a shot in the dark that also may have backfired. So I don't know, you know, but here we are. Yeah. Right. So my prediction is it goes past September one. I think the fans are going to, again, uh, roll themselves into a, a, a hell raising fire over this. Um, and there's going to be the temperature gauge turned up by either side. Uh, I think you're going to see some, uh, some more, I guess, uh, pinpointed verbalizations from the agent as we get closer to September one. I still think you're going to see Bill Guerin acting cool as calm. And I, again, uh, this is going to continue on. And my big thing is get him signed before training camp. That's yeah. all I hear about. If I don't want a William Nylander situation where you're going all the way to December 15th, I believe is the, uh, uh, uh the date that you can yeah. actually wait until, because then you're losing in half a season. Again, the fan base is rubbed the wrong way, all this other jazz. And you're talking about him messing half a season. Where do you miss four or five years of his productivity while I was over there in Russia. And that's where you talk about who's going to call each other's bluff. It might come down to the 11th hour for me, the 11th hour, I think is going to be somewhere around Labor Day weekend uh, before September 10th, I think is kind of my, my, my two cents on it. The first couple of weeks, maybe a September. And I think that's kind of where we're going to see it finally, finally all come together. Um, but while we wait, we get to watch uh, training videos of him running in the mud in the rain uh, with carrying a giant tire, which is uh, kind of very Russian. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very Russian. But speaking of things slogging through the mud, Nick, we're going to hop over to our extra ice session and the Arizona Coyotes who are in a bit of a, um, a messy situation themselves, if you will. And welcome into the extra ice session. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host. Uh, Nick, do you want to introduce yourself? <laughs> You don't remember my name? Yeah. Hi, I'm Nick Maxson. Hi. Um, <laughs> well, we're here to talk about the uh, Arizona Coyotes, maybe the Kansas City Coyotes or the Houston Coyotes. I don't, I don't know. Uh, big <laughs> news, actually, out of the city of Glendale. So, uh, Noah, what I'll do is I'll kind of introduce the topic here, and I'll, I'll kind of let you have first jabs at this. Essentially, what happened this week is the city of Glendale, where the Coyotes and the city, which owns Gila River Arena, and they themselves are negotiating – what appeared to be a year-to-year contract based for the last couple of years now, right? Um, coyotes are in debt to the rent. Uh, coyotes um, and the city want to make improvements to Gala River Arena. Um, and effectively, the city of Glendale said, because I think it's, it's over a million bucks that they owe the city of Glendale for their That's rents and some other fees. It's something like, like, like 1.7. Yeah, something like that. I think that. it's like 1.4 million. Yeah. Either way, it's a lot of money, right? Um, and the city said, I'm done with this. I'm terminating the negotiations. I'm terminating the contract. We will not be talking about this, which, and this is after this upcoming season, which means as of right now, 
the Coyotes do not have a home for the 2022-2023 season. Now, after this, NHL Commissioner Bettman took a couple of days and said, the future of the Coyotes are in Arizona. And he did make, I think, a very pointed line that says, you know, I hope the city of Glendale continues in their discussions. So almost right away, Noah, Gary Bettman is calling a bluff is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Um, Number three, uh, or I should say number two for those who can count. um, (laughs) It sounds like the Coyotes have angered the city of Glendale. This is kind of where I think the city of Glendale is more hurt over this than anything. It sounds like the Coyotes have been having under the table discussions with the city of Tempe. Uh, to move the franchise there, which would be uh, more close to the, to the Phoenix area, very, very close to the airport. And you're looking at this area that Tempe wants to develop. It's just northwest of Arizona State University. Um, it's actually right on the river there. And I've actually seen uh, some pictures. This it actually looks like a very gorgeous site where they want it. It's a 47-acre plot that they want to develop. And uh, it sounds like there's some heavy interest in that site from the Coyotes' perspective. And I think the city of Glendale, uh, they caught wind of this. Uh, they caught wind of this actually through Katie Strain, uh, of course, who has been doing an excellent job with the Athletic both on uh, the Arizona Coyotes situation. Well, of course, six months ago, a lot of the rumblings of the uh, the, uh, the upper exec offices uh, there in Arizona, as well as some other hockey-related um, things, including uh, stuff that go on Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, but here we are. Um, City of Glendale is putting a foot in the sand and saying, we're done with you. It sounds mm-hmm. like, from what I gather, City is like, well, if you're done with me, I'm done with you. It's kind of what I gather. But I kind of want to get your initial reaction, Noah. Um, uh, the City of Glendale, their actions, and what do you think this means for the Coyotes moving forward? Well, first of all, I wanted to go back to the comment about Gary Bettman. Um, and, I, and I know Gary, this is kind of his reaction to a lot of these things where he hopes that a resolution can be made. I think this is a little bit of uh, Gary kind of feeling out that process and saying, you know, I hope a resolution can be made and seeing if the city of Glendale kind of circles back or if they're like, we're done, it's over. We're This is legit. We're done. We're done. Done. Um, this could be the potentially the best or the worst thing that happens to the Arizona Coyotes. When you talked about the location, um, finding a new arena uh, within the span of a year and change, like you don't just build arenas in that time and get new plans. They're going to be, they're going to be in an interesting position here. Now, with that being said, when you talked about, you know, the, the proximal location to Arizona state university and talking about the great things that ASU has done, especially with their independent hockey program as well, similar to what the Vegas golden Knights do with UNLV and places like that, there is a really great potential opportunity, maybe not right away, but in the future, as you move through there, you know, having that opportunity. And the reason that this might also be a good move is that from the reports that I have read, they said that Gila River Arena, which again, like you mentioned, is owned by the city. It has nothing to do with the Coyotes per se. They just host the Coyotes and have executive offices there. If Gila River Arena sells, I think it was 43 concerts at half capacity throughout the course of a calendar year, they will make more than if the coyotes were there originally. So if they have 43 concerts, more of those concerts only at half capacity, which for those who are doing math is 21 and a half full concerts, I guess, um, they will make more money than when the coyotes are there now. There's also been noted that there's travel issues into the city of Glendale. They thought that it should probably be closer into Scottsdale if they should have done it the first time. So maybe this is actually the move that even though the Coyotes still owe one point, almost $1.5 million to the city of Glendale. 
this could be the resurrection move that maybe does actually benefit the Arizona Coyotes franchise as they move forward. It's going to be a rocky, tumultuous road to get to that point. What are they going to do in the next couple of years? I don't know. But this could be the saving grace, or this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And in five years' time, there is not a team in Arizona. And, and that's the other side of the coin that I think we have to touch on, Noe, is a lot of a lot of fans, and, and it, we kind of saw this happen, was you know when Seattle, the expansion of Seattle was announced, they said it very near afterwards that Arizona would be moving to the Central Division. Oh, boy. So it was almost like, you know, there's a backup plan here, right? I mean, there's no no question that the the problems between the Arizona Coyotes and the city have been very well documented. It goes back pretty much to the beginning of the Stone Tablet Age. It's just it's it's crazy. Yep. Um, and as you said, you know, could this be a benefit? This looks going to be really really bad. Yeah. Um, on Arizona, um, the franchise like, like franchise going back to Winnipeg bad. Not it's not going back but, to Winnipeg. Yeah, yes. obviously. Uh, and but, for those who wanted to go yeah. back city, ain't going to happen. Nope. So, um, but. Um, with that being said, there the, the two, if the team is relocating, right, which I, I really don't think the NHL wants to have happen. But as you said, if the if the Coyotes are in talks with Tempe, and let's just say that that's actually got some traction to it, even if you broke ground today, you're not playing that building until probably 2024 at the earliest, right? Yep. Those big are going to take at least two or three years to build. If you've got one, that means you're going to find two years to to find a stadium to play, right? Now, you don't just move a franchise to me to Kansas City or Houston for two years to have them move back. That's not how this works. Um, and there has been talks in recent years of the owner of the Houston Rockets uh, buying the Arizona or having interest. The NHL, I know, has had interest in Houston. Kansas City has an arena that's ready to go. Um, and, oh, I'll be darned. It's in the Central Division and even geographically, <laughs> right? So, I don't know, but and and I got a question uh, for NCHC yeah. fans. Can you throw Omaha in the mix there? I believe the arena seventeen thousand five hundred, if I'm not mistaken. The, the, arena, the, old, yes. the old arena, yeah. The arena, yes. The problem is the economics in Omaha do not support right. enough for that franchise. So it, yeah, it's not just about the barn. That's the thing that Quebec City gets wrong. You right. can have a state of the art arena, but the, however, the surrounding economic situation is part of that analysis for any pro hockey team is a lot of money and a lot of support. This guy that be there to support it. Those two cities just don't have it. Houston does. Kansas City, I think, does as well. I think they've got enough there uh, to, to warrant enough of the economic impact of the franchise uh, would need to survive. However, for since you mentioned college hockey, to me, I think, and I know, the NHL, and, and if you want hockey to grow, it needs to stay in Arizona. It just has to. Um, and so I'm actually rooting for Arizona to come to a resolution, either with the city of Glendale. And let's say this. Let's just say that, this city of Glendale is done. Let's just say they're truly like, we're done. And the Coyotes go, you know what? Here's the deal. We're going to build something in Tempe. Yeah. But we need somewhere to play. Give us two more years. Yep. Up front, if you agree this, here's your $1.4 million or whatever the case may be. We'll pay that off. Give us those two years. We'll build this thing. And then we're that H-E double hockey sticks out of here. Yep. Um, to me, that's mm -hmm. probably the best case scenario. And here's the funny thing, and, and, and I kind of laughed at the city of Glendale thinking about 40, 43 concerts is a lot to schedule. <laughs> um, and, and, number, and yeah, half capacity, but how many acts? I mean, I, I even think about to Minneapolis, right? How many um, musical acts? And mind you, Minneapolis has been 
um, compared to in the past is like a, a like New York City 2.0, just much smaller in terms of the arts and everything else. We don't have 43 concerts that hit a single of our stadiums. So that makes me laugh a little bit um, mm-hmm. to think that Gila River Arena could do half capacity. And mind you, that's still like at least 10,000 fans. Um, but how are you going to attract 43 concert venues to Glendale, Arizona to support yeah. that cause? I don't know. I think it's a little bit much to ask if you're asking me. So I think there's still a little bit of, you talk about Kaprizov agents going on the fluff. I think there's some fluff here also from the city of Glendale, mm-hmm. because at the, at the end of it, the, the tail end of this is that, the the Iran needs millions and millions of dollars of upgrades. It is absolutely due. It's over 20 years old. And it's gonna be one of those deals where I think that they've been in talks about this, like, okay, yeah, the this arena needs that. Oh, you are gonna pay for that. No, Kyrie's no, you're gonna pay for that. I just think again, with the amount of money that's owed. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, the way that the city of Glendale has made this lease here, there, the Coyotes would be better off financially getting their own building or at least having a 20 year lease minimum. Um, just like the, uh, the wildlife, I think I know a 20 year extension with the Exo energy center. Um, if, and it's not owned by the city, if it was a state thing, a local, like, again, there was bonds that the wild took out again against the, the taxpayers in Minnesota to help pay for that. Same way with the Minnesota Viking stadium, U S bank stadium. Um, that's not the same with the city of Glendale. So there's no real financial like security involved there. Um, I actually kind of hope, like you said, that this just goes by the wayside, I think for both sides and to be, to be fair, in my opinion, laugh at the city of Glendale because they're going to lose out on this. If they go as bad as there's no way in hell you're attracting 43 concerts in that amount of time, even at half capacity, that's asking a lot for one arena. Essentially they just want them out. And honestly, it'd be the best divorce to me for both the league the team and for the city. So my question to you is this, it's a three-parter. We love those, right? What sure. is, what is your percentage that they stay in Glendale for a couple of years and then move on? What is your percentage that they move on directly, but stay in Arizona and what, and what is your percentage, I guess, that they don't stay in Arizona? And if they don't, where do they go? I think it's all evenly split, you know, 33%. And here's why I say that. So, yeah, Glendale took a hard stance. But you know that that's what has been said publicly. You know, we talked about us not knowing a damn thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the negotiations are that um, abrasive behind closed doors. I really don't. This, to me, is a negotiating tactic. Because, I, yeah, again... The city, if the city was smart, they'd want a long-term lease, right? But the problem is, again, the Coyotes had been financially hard-strapped. Um, yep. That's especially been well with documented, COVID. Yeah. Especially with COVID. So, and to me, again, we, there's so many factors that make that location, that arena, not a great destination for a pro sports team or for the residents of, you know, the Glendale and the, the surrounding areas. So I, I do think that there's a conversation to be had where, to me, the most likely scenario is two things. I really don't think this team is moving in the next five years. I just don't see it. I could be wrong. We've had this, we thought the Minnesota North stars are never going to move. <laughs> no, I'm green. Thank you. Um, but <laughs> yeah, cause that but, worked out well, right? Yeah, it did. But <laughs> that was an ownership change that precipitated and was very vocal about getting the hell out of Minnesota. That was there from day one. I don't hear that from Alex uh, Miruelo. Uh, from his, I know that they're committed to the state of Arizona. I know that the league is also committed to the state of Arizona. I think the most likely scenario is you find a way to get a deal done with Glendale. That's either 20 plus years with renovations included and money up front to get out of debt, 
or two, the city of Tempe and Arizona come up with a new entertainment district plan, which has already been in talks for the last two years and what's been reported by the athletic. And they are able to extend it until that arena is built. And then you wash your hands, it's done, and both can go their merry simple ways. So, so, so what you're saying is between those two combined, a 66% chance you think that they stay in Arizona in some way, somewhere. Else. So in the theoretical world where you're wrong completely, which that's never happens ever. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, <right. laughs> so the other 33%, they're at some point, they're out of Arizona. Who takes them? Where do they go? Kansas City or Houston. It's the only two right now that again that people people think that you know you know the divisions in seattle was not in, about imbalance it was 100 percent about imbalance so now you have eight in each division um they're not going anywhere out east because you're not going to push back columbus back to this to the central to the west neither does detroit because a big reason why those franchises move all east because of travel right so to me, you have owners and an arena in Houston. Again, former AHL team, the Houston Arrows, for a yep. Minnesota Wild affiliate for yep. those who are watching. Uh, you have an arena that's already built, that's ready to handle hockey. Uh, do the ownership themselves keep the team and just move it, or do they sell it off? That's an option. Kansas City has been this sort of like low-key where they've had pro hockey before. It's been a while. Is there a market there? I don't know, but again, everything goes through Gary Batman, and we know that when he bets on these franchises, especially when he bet on Florida originally, then Tampa, Arizona, then the three California teams, which used to be known, by the way, not only goes murderers row, LA, San Jose, and Anaheim used to be three very, very good hockey teams. And that used to be an absolute uh, killer of a road trip for any team going through that, uh, that area. So, and to me, for the game of hockey, Arizona is such an important cornerstone in the desert. Now they got Vegas and how successful they've been. This is going to grow not only you talk about Arizona State, grow the college game. It's going to grow so many other opportunities. I think the NHL needs it to stay in Arizona. So I really do think the chances are greater than not of them staying there in the desert state of Arizona. So between between Houston and Kansas City, is there one that you prefer more? I'm going to throw an oddball out there. Um, it's, it's definitely an oddball, but I just want to hear your opinion on it because they just lost their franchise not too long ago. What about um, Quad City, Illinois and Iowa? They have a rink there. It's about 12,000 people. Kind of smack dab in the middle of there. You don't think so? No. Just a thought. I mean, just a thought. It's, it's you know, the, I think the bigger, if you talk about odd ones, the only other smaller city, and mind you, quad cities, I get the areas populated. Um, they've got junior hockey there. Um, but again, the economic situation there, I don't think can handle it. What about Milwaukee? I think yeah, Milwaukee yeah. would be, you know, it's sort of that dark horse, small market thing, but again, Milwaukee has its own issues with your economics as well, despite the Bucs just won a championship. And I think Milwaukee being a Northern state would be great for hockey fans. I and, would. And, it, and is Milwaukee, it, like you're picking Milwaukee over Madison, you know, Green Bay, obviously. 100%, yeah. 100%, because yeah. Milwaukee's the biggest city by population wise there. But still, I, I just, I don't think that there's enough of a supporting cast there outside of the hockey world that would make it happen. Houston, population, They've got money. That's there. Kansas City, same thing. To me, those two are the top two. Again, they're in the same region. There's no way in my in my eyes that those there's other cities beyond those two that actually qualify to host an NHL franchise at this current moment in time. Yeah. So between so Casey, um, obviously for those who don't know, we're talking about Kansas City, Missouri, um, where the Royals are and stuff. So would you rather see two teams in Missouri or two teams in Texas? Which one's your vote if you had to? 
oof, this is tough. You know, honestly, I thought about this, you know, as this, uh, the story was kind of developing, I thought, okay, I still don't think they move, but you know, if they did, right, it's no question between these two cities, honestly, I would like to see Kansas city. Same. Yep. I like to see yep. Kansas city. Um, I, I think, don't get me wrong. Dallas has been a great franchise for them, but I think, you know, even when I talk about Texas, when I just know if Houston has the the fan base there for hockey just yet, I know Dallas has really grown, especially like the little league and the junior hockey system. They've done a fantastic job. I just think that why not put it back to a market that doesn't have it, that has sports franchises. They got the chiefs, you got the Royals. Why not put hockey there to continue to grow the game and and for the initials thing, a market that would be new to them, but also was kind of growing in terms of, you know, the hockey world too. So yeah, Kansas city. And I know so many people that um, like my, my, actually my cousins live in Kansas city and I know so many, and they went to school at Mizzou and I, and Mizzou of course is closer to St. Louis than it is to Kansas city. And I know that so many people that are in Missouri, they're big blues fans. And you look at the success of the Bruce franchise. You also look at the success of the blues, their triple a programs, their junior programs, everything that they've done in that community, you know, you're continuing to flourish hockey, um, especially in kind of not really the Midwest, but like the, the middle of the United States, if you will. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that would be a good fit. Kansas city. Um, for those who did not know, they actually have had a couple of NHL franchises before actually way back the New Jersey devils organization way back in the day. I think it was, uh, the Kansas city Mavericks. Does that sound sounds right? right? Yeah, that's, I, right. I could be totally wrong. Um, their logo was less than uh, culturally appropriate for today's day and age, but, um, not nonetheless, um, that was back in the seventies. Um, as well. But yeah, I would, I think Kansas city would be the bet, but honestly, I, um, I honestly would not mind seeing in within five years time, seeing Arizona kind of move towards over towards ASU. I love the Thank idea you. that an independent, probably arguably the most successful independent program that we have in college hockey right now. Um, I would say by a, by a mile, but you know, and that's, that's no offense to anybody else. I know that Alabama Huntsville hopefully is on their way up with hopefully finding a new league and getting the money that they've gotten there. But ASU with the facilities that they've had to support themselves, continuing to grow that um, by keeping a team in Arizona, but also involving a really good division one program and an area that, um, you know, you have a player like Austin Matthews continues to hopefully grow and harness that hockey energy, if you will. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing them moving over to Tempe in in a couple of years too, but and let's not forget to, I think it was like four or five years ago, there was a joint project with the coyotes and the Arizona, uh, Arizona state that could have shared arena facilities. Um, yeah. Arizona state, I believe is going to open up their new arena this fall, um, down there in Tempe. And so they've been kind of linked together for some time here. In fact, there was some drawings about this plan for ASU and the coyotes to kind of share facilities or, you know, kind of be a combined thing. So it seems to be that, relationship has, has kind of been there um, and yeah. which is a, you know, obviously a really good thing, but I would like to, again, see that kind of flourish. And even though they're, they wouldn't be necessarily sharing facilities, but you know, being within what five minutes of each other there, um, a couple of miles So you know, if you guys, if you guys look at the site, it's an old compost site West of a, a river park. Um, it looks gorgeous and you, there's a lot of potential there, but again, right next to the campus, there's a, a younger market you can tap into for, um, for, for new fans and, and to really grow hockey there. And not only that, but could you imagine the, the coyotes and their fan base going, Hey, 
there's a college hockey game too. Let, let's go see a game over there. So it'll be, I think it would be beneficial for both sides if, if yeah. it did happen. And honestly, for, for the city of Glendale, they said, Hey, we're already better off without you. They've already kind of said that already in public. Well, that's true or not yet to be seen. Uh, I think there's a less of that truth that's behind closed doors. But uh, for me, I think, Again, yeah. we talked about before. That's the best case scenario is to get the Coyotes out of Glenda, get into to Tempe. That's a, a five minute drive away from the airport, so the travel will be a little bit better for the fans in the Greater Phoenix area. A much easier access to get it, um, and just to me, it's a better overall situation for both everybody that's involved. Honestly, let's say when you've been on one year leases with uh, the city of Glendale for a while, I think that kind of speaks to where maybe the direction was heading anyway. But Nick, didn't you didn't you hear, man? North Dakota is getting the Arizona Coyotes, man. They're going to Grand Forks. Come on. Are they? That's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've had at least three people that I know that I play hockey with here that have been like, yeah, well, they should come to Grand Forks. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> now, and you made an interesting point. Now, I just want to quickly do this uh, because you, you mentioned um, uh, about um, – Holy hell, least, my brain's kicking at the least thing, right? Yeah, I yeah. think that's kind of where I mean, the Arizona Coyotes thought, yeah, their writing's on the wall here at some point. Mm-hmm. And I do really think that's what, you know, kind of sparked uh, the origination of talks with Tempe. You know, it's like, they, I think they knew that at some point this was going to happen and they were already looking at their exit plan. Um, so to me, I think that is correlated 100%. And you're absolutely right about that. You know, it doesn't take anybody, I think, very much brain power unless you're me because yeah, my brain is not functioning <laughs> say, mine very hurts well. really bad <laughs> i know right so to, to figure out that you know there was some language there was some things that were happy that were pointing in this direction and i, I still don't think this is a one all be all situation just yet with the city but i do think it's like it could be as a cry it's like okay we really need to sit down and figure this out it's very possible that's what this is and what it comes to um but again i think there's better options out there for for everybody involved and we'll just have to see where it goes yeah, it'll be interesting. Speaking of seeing where things go, Nick, I think we're going to try to get a guest this week. Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been an interesting summer for us. You know, I, I got to be honest, though, I really, uh, I really enjoyed the break. Um, but now we're back into uh, the school year and hopefully with a guest to boot for episode number 75. And as always, we're going to have episode number 76 coming to you next Sunday as well. Thank you so much once again to all of our listeners and YouTube watchers, but especially, of course, our listeners, 10,000 audio downloads, listens, plays, whatever the heck you want to call them. Uh, we are very, very appreciative and never thought that we would even get to this point. So it's amazing the run that we've been on and we hopefully look to continue that uh, as we move forward. Mr. Maxson, do you have anything else to add for episode number 75 here? Uh, for the Huskies who are freshmen, uh, welcome and yes. to uh, welcome into the den, uh, you know, go Huskies. Woo. As you know, it, it, that's how you say it. Does anyway, that have a hashtag so, in front of it? It's supposed to, but anyway, so <laughs> at the arena, they don't say hashtag anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, welcome to campus again. Uh, you're saying close to men's and women's hockey programs, uh, a lot of entertainment. Mind you, again, for students who are current students, all you need to show is your ID card. You are getting into the building for free. Let's pack the dog pound this year. Both these teams are going to be fun to watch. It's great weekend entertainment. That's, again, cheap. You don't have to pay for a darn thing. Um, so, and again, come on down, and we're happy to have you along with the ride. So, uh, uh, go Huskies, Woo. Let's go. St. Cloud. Yeah, it'll, for 2021. it'll be good for, for us uh, non-college fans as well, too, or those not in the area. Also, don't forget single game and weekend ticket sales go live September 1st as well, too. So for those of you looking to scarf up the rest of those tickets, uh, we got a really, really good lineup coming into the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center this year. So also, uh, yeah. there are rumors since, uh, as you know, in years past, uh, 
St. Cloud has used uh, essentially a Canadian university to do like a two night game before the non-conference schedule. Yeah. Um, I'm hearing rumblings that there could be a red versus black scrimmage instead of the weekend mm-hmm. prior. Um, I'll keep you folks posted if, if that indeed comes to fruition and waiting on confirmation uh, coming that's from an, a source within the athletic department. So um, again, it's, it's being thought of, uh, I'm not sure if this will be a public event. I imagine it would be, uh, but uh, you know, if it does come to fruition, we'll make sure we let you folks know. I've got my money on the team with uh, St. Cloud State on their uh, shells and breezers and pants. Sounds about one. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I got my money on the team with the players. Anyway, uh, that will do it for episode number 75, and we'll see you next week in the den. One-timer coming, they score! Fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.